the rules that you said came from the Bible don't come from the Bible. And there are a lot of rules in the Bible that are horrible. And if I did that, I should be in jail. If you read this book to find prescriptives on how to live, it will kill you. Welcome everyone to the Faith Recovery Podcast. We're continuing in our series, Unbelievable, Addressing Obstacles to the Faith. And we've been talking about the Bible as the Word of God and the problems that emerge when the Bible is the Word of God. And last week we concluded with Nathan uh, making some pretty provocative claims, something to the effect of um, the Scripture points us to uh, away from itself to a reality that actually is... Um, beyond ethics and beyond morality. I can't remember exactly what your words for it, Nathan. I don't know. Do you remember what you said? I don't remember what I said. That was last week. Um, was it accurate yeah. what I just said? I think so. Well, and I, and I think we're going to go there today um, talking about about what is morality, what are, what are ethics, what is morality. Um, and so, you know, there, I, I think there's some basic criteria to what is morality and what is Christian morality. You know, if we're going to critique the Bible, we probably should at least have a sense of um, what what is the mark? What are we aiming at? And that would be great. The problem with unbelief, to my mind, is that there I, I have yet to discover a good atheistic ethic. I, I've tried to create one. I, I was going down the road and I was like, so what if we started with this notion of reproduction? And we asked, how do we keep the human species alive? Um, and that becomes the basis of our ethic, you know, and, and I follow that down the road. But there's but frankly, we're ultimately not going to be able to keep the human species alive. At some point, the meteorite's going to hit or and, and, and maybe Elon Musk will be sitting on Mars with a harem, you know, to, to repopulate humanity uh, at that time. But, uh, you know, then that meteorite will hit Mars or the universe is going to reach heat death or our sun is going to strobe out. Uh, at some point, humanity will come to an end. So that can't become the basis of our ethic. Uh, I haven't found one yet. And, and a lot smarter people than I am have probably thought through ethics. But um, when, when we go to critiquing the Bible, we at least should be able to say, okay, well, here is a Here's the way forward. Here's the superior ethic. And, and I've yet to see that happen. Uh, and it may just be that I'm missing out. So what, what I think we've done so far in this podcast is, is we, we've said, okay, yeah, it's clear that whoever wrote the Bible in, you know, whoever's, all, all the people that wrote the Bible, they, they seem to have an unscientific worldview compared to what we have. And just going to grant that. Uh, there are historical seeming inaccuracies. There are things that are hard to believe uh, that stretch credulity claims about, say, Solomon's uh, wealth, you know, that, that it's just not physically possible to have a tanker's truck load of, of gold, and you know, in this little kingdom. And uh, there, there's that kind of stuff that, uh, you know, 2.5 million people are, are crossing out of Egypt at the same time. And uh, all of these things, they, they, they stretch credulity, which, which I guess the Bible, the, the concept of faith is supposed to do. But, but let's just grant that some of those things are inaccurate. And we talked about how, you know, that 
that shouldn't keep us from seeing that the Bible has this other message, what we may call a, a meta message or something that, that those kinds of things shouldn't. But what we haven't done is we haven't really addressed this concern over the Bible's morality. So let's, let's grant that, you know, if Jesus came, if we were here talking to Jesus in the first century and he didn't know that the earth went around the sun, we wouldn't fault him for that. But if he said drowning puppies is good, we would, you know, um, that, that there are things more morally speaking. So we really haven't addressed some of the, um, I, I don't think if, if, if I were a skeptic or even somebody who's just trying to, to wrestle through all this, uh, I, I wouldn't be satisfied with what we said so far about the Bible's morality. And so I, you know, I think we kind of need to bring, bring that out. And last time, um, I had mentioned that we should be able to go through what Paul said in his letters, and we did talk some about morality and that Paul, we acknowledge that, hey, Paul seems to be sexist. I'm not, I, I can't defend that. I, I, I don't want to ever get in a place where I'm hemming and hawing around and, well, you see, he didn't really mean that in the, the, the context and all, you know, and it's like, I, I've tried that. It just hasn't worked. It, it, what he's saying is, is kind of on the surface. He's saying, look, women were created different. Women should be treated different. Boy, that's problematic. That's problematic. Uh, and is that and, problematic because we're moderns and we have um, a modern ethic? Or is it problematic because it's just wrong? I mean, is, is it absolute? Uh, are we, aren't we supposed to just submit to Scripture as our moral authority and conform to the morality that it teaches us to have? Are we judging the Bible with a kind of modern liberal ethic? Right. And, and we talked about we can't, we can't do either, it seems. Um, because if we, if we say God said it, that settles it, that, that's fine, except that there are other people who say God said things. Uh, and should we do what they think we should do? Uh, you know, ISIS says God said it, that settles it. And they're closer in the way they structure their society to the Old Testament than any American suburbanite churchgoer ever will be. So should we join ISIS? Uh, what you know? What should we do? We we we, sh and, and we look over there and we say, well, that's obviously not the way. Or we should we join the Taliban? Or and we say, well, that's obviously not a, a workable ethic. It's not. It's not kind. It's not empathetic. Uh, shooting Malala Yousef because she wants to go to school is not a good thing. I don't care if you think your God told you to do it. If your God told you to do it your God's got a problem. We can do that. Now, if we do that to somebody else, then we're going to have to do that to ourselves to some degree. That, that ethics has to have, it has to be rigid in some ways, but it has to be flexible in other ways. Okay. Spell kind of that like out. Kind of like the human body or whatever. Like if we were all calcium, we wouldn't function well. But if we didn't have a skeleton, we wouldn't function well either. And I think morals have to have, and we even say, a backbone. There has to be integrity. People have to be able to know this is consistently a moral action and that departure from it is, is immoral. So 
our morality has to have an, a level of objectivity to it. It can't just be, we've all agreed that telling the truth is better than not. If we do that, then next year we could all agree that lying is better. And, and not that we would, but it just, but somewhere on, on a conceptual level, we can hold to that loosely. If, if we were the ones that fabricated the morality, then we're not necessarily subject to it to the degree that when the rubber meets the road, we're going to keep doing it. When the stakes get high enough, we're going to keep on. And, and, and I think to be considered moral people, that there have to be things that are non-negotiable in our ethical matrix. Uh, Nathan, you're losing me, man. You're diving deep. Yeah. And I need you to take a step back. Let's go 30,000 foot view here. Sure. What in the world are you talking about? What's this got to do with our discussion about the Bible as the word of God? Yes. Well, we, I, what we need to, to bring up, I guess, is this idea that the Bible is not basic instructions before leaving earth. That regardless of what Burlap to Kashmir said, if you were Christian in the 90s. But anyway, um, that it's not a rule book. And what's difficult for people is, is that we don't have a concept of divine revelation that isn't a book of rules. Mm-hmm. So if the Bible's not a rule book, what is it? If it is a rule book, we can't follow it. So most people, I think, who are, are thoughtful are... They were taught that it was a rule book and they were given a set of rules that we said came from the Bible. And then they began to read the Bible on their own and they said, the rules that you said came from the Bible don't come from the Bible. And there are a lot of rules in the Bible that are horrible. And if I did that, I should be in jail. Um, So that's, I think what we need to do today to do today is to say how do we use the Bible in a way that will not make us horrible people and why should we? Why should we bother to even use the Bible at all if we can be good people without it? Yeah, and I, I think that resonates because there, there's this essential question that I think everyone's grappling with even even people that are people of faith or people that are christians is like how does this faith and how you know how how is the faith that i see in the bible this this uh, path of following jesus and being his disciple how does this make me into a better person and maybe even bigger than that how does it help um our society and world to be a better better place there has to be um there has to be something higher that we're attaining to that this is actually going to result in <laughs> a better life for myself and a better life for, you know, the, the people that are around me. Because if not, then what's the value? What's the inherent value of this, this system? Exactly. And to be, to be fair to the Bible, I, there, there is no set of rules that can make somebody a better person that rules automatically, I believe. Uh, and, Ironically, uh, scripture bears this out. Rules seem to make us worse. Laws and rules are are made to be broken. And that's what we do with them. There's got to be some sort of a ethic that that is not 
encapsulated in a list of prescriptives. And how do we do that? Like I said, even you know, if, you, if you look at the legal profession, why, why does somebody deserve to be paid $3,000 an hour to tell us what our rules in America are or to help us to avoid the rules, which is really where you make the big bucks. Uh, rules are problematic inherently, which is ironic um, because we don't know how else to help people live, know how to live. And yet the Bible says these kind of strange and compelling things, uh, Paul does, in saying that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says that, that the letter kills Wow, well, that's a critique. Uh, here's a Jew looking back on his holy book and saying, if you read this book to find prescriptives on how to live, it will kill you. That seems serious. So when people critique the Bible and they say, wow, that's, that's not a rule book. I mean, or they say that those rules I, I could never keep and that's brutal and all that. I mean, their critique is just nothing compared to Paul's. Uh, Paul's like, not only does it not structure society well, it will kill you as an individual. It will destroy your soul from the inside. And he's speaking as somebody who it killed. So there's got to be something better, some better way to go. Um, and he and seems to think there is. He does, yeah. And, and we've been talking about how that when we read the Bible, we see this reference to the Word of God, which is not unusual for a holy book. I mean, the Quran speaks again and again of the revelation from Allah and Allah's messenger and all of that, but it's, it's speaking about itself, and, and there's no doubting that. Uh, but when we read the New Testament especially, it's talking about something other than itself. It, it says stuff like the revelation once received in Jude. Uh, it, it speaks of how we have received the word, how the word spread. Uh, so it's talking about something besides itself, and it's calling it the word of God. And uh, uh, so that thing seems to be what we need whatever that is. And that thing, according to 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, Peter says, uh, and he's quoting Isaiah, he says, you know, all people are like uh, the flowers of the field and the grass, and it withers and dies. And would anybody disagree with that? Especially as we get older, we realize, wow, you know, we're we're just so, our existence on this planet is brief. It is just a blip. And not only is that, but we have to go through a time of decline. And so, you know, we just have a few good years and then it all kind of goes to crap and we burn up and we're done. Um, if that's all there is, then what's the point? And yet he says, but the word of God endures forever. And Peter says, and you have been born from the word of God, that the word of God is uh, is part of your constitution now that you were made of things that would not endure and now you are also made of something that cannot be destroyed whether we give credence to what Isaiah said I you know but but I, I want us to get to the point 
But he ends in verse 25 by telling us what the Word of God is. Now, if we have to be composed of the Bible, well, that's 1,200 hard pages. And most of people throughout history have not had access to that book. But if the Word of God is something else, then, then there may be hope. And, and, and he says that this Word of God isn't just a, a set of external rules, but it's the DNA. It is a part of your makeup. It's, it's, it, it is determining your character and, and the, the manifestation of who you are. What is that? And then in verse 25, he says, this is the word we preached to you. So even in 1 Peter, Peter is not calling what he's writing the word of God. He says, I am writing you about the word of God. And, and that that word of God is preached. So it's an oral revelation. It's an announcement you know, preaching, we think of preaching as a religious thing. They didn't, that, that didn't exist. There was not religious preaching in the first century until this gospel. Preaching was a political thing. That it, it was closer to our modern news anchor. Mm -hmm. uh, to, to be a preacher was to be a herald. Mm -hmm. To It was to make announcements. It, it was how you brought information from Rome to the remote areas of the empire. It's a reality that you have to do when you build this kind of massive global multicultural empire without mass media. What do you do? Send and, out heralds all over the exactly. empire. Exactly. And preachers. the good news that exactly. Caesar is Lord. Yes, yeah, and that was the uh, original, you know, it's like, this is good news. He's ascended the throne, and and congratulations to all of you. I'm now your sovereign. You know, it, it it seems like a strange way to say it, but you know, depending on what kind of king he was, then it may have been good news, the good tidings. But at least for the king, it was good news. You know, um, and I, I we have to kind of recapture that sense that the good news is good for God too. Um, so. It has to be this word, and it has to be this oral thing. It, it, it's this thing that was preached, and there's very clear boundaries to what that is in the New Testament. So if we're really going to be biblical people, then we, can follow, we cannot follow the Bible as a set of rules. We have to allow who and what we are to flow from this announcement. Yeah, so... You're leaving me hanging. We got yeah. right up to Peter. What? What is the word? Yes. What is the word that got preached? That this thing that's um, other than just the text of the Bible. It's this message. What is it? Yeah. Right. What is it? Uh, you know, there are a couple of places in Scripture where Paul says, "And this is my gospel," um, and he says it differently every time, and and yet it all covers the same themes. So I'm just going to go off the top of my head. Uh, on a few of them. One is Romans 1, where he says, you know, I was made an apostle of the gospel of God, which he, God the Father, which he proclaimed through the prophets concerning his son, who, according to the flesh, was born of the line of David, but was appointed the son of God 
by the spirit of holiness through the resurrection from the dead. There it is. Jesus Christ our Lord, I think is what it says after that, right? Possibly, yeah. No? Just going, yeah, maybe. I'm going off the top of my head, so possibly. But then he says that we've received apostleship uh, to call all of the Gentiles, uh, all the nations, to the obedience of faith. And you are among those Gentiles, you you and Rome. So it is a gospel that is that was that began to be preached a couple of thousand years before Jesus was born. It's a gospel that has to do with a, um, a divine king. So that's part of the mess. That's one statement of it. Um, Galatians one verses three through four is kind of my favorite statement where he talks about how that Christ uh, died to rescue us from this present evil world, this present evil age, you know, that, 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 and that God, the father raised him. Um, first Corinthians 15 is probably a go-to where he says, I want to remind you of my message of my gospel that, that I preached to you first of all. And that is that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried on the third day. He rose again. According to the scriptures, he was seen by witnesses, uh, and so on. So there are places, and, and if you read the book of Acts, all of the sermons in the book of Acts are making this exact same point. In 2 Timothy 2, he says, I want to remind you of my gospel that is Jesus descended of David, from David, raised from the dead. So very similar to Romans, um, but it is, it is a gospel of the kingdom. It, it is good news that, that Jesus has died for our sins. He has been raised and through his resurrection has been confirmed as this messianic king you know when when paul says that he was appointed the son of god and it's like wait he was already the son of god right because he says about his son but he says he was appointed the son of god when he's evoking psalm 2 psalm 89 this idea that you are my son today i have become your father it's about the davidic king jesus is appointed the son of god in power so that's the that's the message. That's the preaching. So when I hear that, you know, immediately I think I'm like, oh, well, that that was the story of of Christ of, yes. G- of Jesus. You yeah. know, so that that changes that that changes kind of how I think about the Word of God or the purpose of Scripture. You know, you're saying it's not a rule book. It's not that we read all of the Bible and somehow come up with the best list of rules that yeah. it's going to make everybody better people. Um, but really it's this announcement or this idea that, um, Jesus came and he did what he did and that means something now. And that, and that entire announcement is this word of God that was being preached by the, the writers of the new Testament. Yes, exactly right. And, and people can look at that and say, okay, well, and I think the way that the church has treated that has been the way you get in. Do you believe this? Yes. Pray this prayer after me. You're in. Now, here's how you live. And we resort again to a list of rules. Yeah, and that and that and that's a very good point because I think a lot of people think, oh, well, yeah, I mean, growing up we had to, you know, confess the Apostles' Creed, which is essentially what a lot of the points that we've, you know, that you've brought out here. Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you don't want to drink, dance, or chew, or go with girls that do. Um, you know, that, that we want to... We, we give people a, a set of prefabricated rules, but we don't realize that we're going back to 
a letter approach. Paul would not have tolerated that. I don't care how well-intentioned those rules are. The very fact that they're rules makes them deadly. Um, and, and Paul, when he calls out Peter in Galatians 2, so Peter withdrew from uh, eating with the Gentiles when the Jews came because the Jews had scruples about eating with Gentiles. And uh, not Paul, Peter. Peter withdrew from them. And, and Paul gets in his grill and, and he calls him out, you know, publicly. And, um, and, and he says, look, it, you know, we, we've already been announcing that people are accepted on the basis of, of Christ's merits. But now you're implying to these Gentiles that they're deficient in some way. So there, there is um, a behavioral implication to this announcement that, you know, and, and Paul says, I withstood Peter. Look, if Peter can be called out, there's no inherent apostolic authority. You know, I mean, I should be able to drag Francis out in the street and say, look, Pope, you got some issues, but you can't do that. He's unassailable. Well, obviously, there's a different view of Christian leadership in Rome, in the Roman church, than there is, than there was in the first century. I mean, you don't get more qualified. If you're going to have some sort of an, an unassailable leadership to be the vicar of Christ or whatever you want to call it, Peter would have been him. And yet, Paul, Paul makes a point to say, you know, I called him out in front of everybody. And, and it's because he screwed up. I mean, you know, he says he stood condemned. Because he, he was, was not to in line be blamed. with the gospel. Exactly. It says because he was not in line with the word of God. He wasn't walking. That the, that the gospel is, is um, you can say, we could, we could triangulate it or, or we could uh, extrapolate it. You know, that there's this idea that the gospel is lining up. That there's a consistent line moving through behavior and reality, and, and we can transgress it by getting out of that path. Yeah, so what I'm hearing, and, and I think this is really, really exciting because it, it's very different than a lot of us were brought up in the church. Like you said, there was, there's this uh, assertion, the, the, you know, call it the story, call it the gospel message, you know, whether, you know, you draft that as the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, whatever it is, there's this message that we're calling the word of God. And, um, people believe in that by faith. They say, they hear the message. They say, yes, um, I believe in that. But then there's kind of this next step. And I think this is getting into kind of that, this ethical <laughs> implications, right? What are the implications of believing in this, this message, believing in the word of God, believing in this um, gospel assertion that you know the New Testament has been talking about. How should we then live, right? Right, and and for Paul, it, it almost seems like it's assumed. Uh, and and we talked last time. That was kind of the assignment was go through the letters of Paul and see what his moral advice is and where it's coming from. And and Paul never claims some sort of separate revelation. I mean, um, in in Galatians three twenty one, Paul says if if there was ever a law that could have given life, it would have come from the law of Moses. It's, it's not like God was like, well, that was a good first, you know, that was a dry run. That, that, that Ten Commandments, the, all the Torah, all that, that was, that was a good shot. But now let's, let's give a, a set of rules that are about how, where your mind is, you know. Don't, don't, don't lust after a woman, you know. Let, let's give a set of rules that are kinder and nicer because 
we live in a, a multicultural society and we can't just summarily go out and execute people for adultery anymore. So let's change the game. Uh, that is not, that's not the way God works. If God works like that, he's not worthy of worship. And so Paul's saying, look, God, God wrote one law. He wrote a law already. I'm not here to write another one. And that gets back to what I was saying about Peter is that God, is that Paul says, look, if you try to build back up, he says, he says, if I try to build back up what I tore down, I have become a transgressor. So however we read Paul, we better not read him as writing a list of prescriptive rules for how to live under divine mandate. We better not read him that way because if we get to heaven and we meet him and he's going to say, how stupid are you? I mean, you know, how, how offended would he be at our approach in, in, in undoing his ministry with his own words? Isn't that what we've done in the evangelical church? We've made yes. the New Testament the new law uh, that we seek to obey. Exactly. And, and Paul, I think Paul was so adamant about this because he had seen the failings of a rule-based system. He says, I, I did it, guys. Look, I checked the boxes. You couldn't have critiqued my life as a Jew. And my inner life was corrupt. It was a murder. For <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did my absolute best, man. I followed the system. I was the best example of a Jew. You, you could find, and it made me uh, an opponent of God and a murderer of innocent people. But isn't that what religion does? Yeah, even the best set of rules could turn somebody into a moral monster. Exactly. Which is why people are leaving the faith. You, you saying moral monster just kind of evokes that because we read critiques of the Christian system and they say the God of the Old Testament is a moral monster, right? I, I was just reading a guy on uh, the blogosphere out there on, on Medium and, and he was just saying, look, the reason um, for all this pederasty in the Catholic Church is because they're reading about these rules uh, about objectifying women, depersonalizing women there that that this moral this just unconscionable moral horrors that we see in in the catholic church is a direct um result of of reading the bible that the bible is a moral and a social pollutant that we can no longer tolerate in our society okay that's fine and not entirely wrong, but only but only right if you read the Bible wrong. Does that make sense? And, and yet, that seems to be the problem. It seems like a lot of Christians or uh, evangel you know swaths of the evangelical church have uh, led or seem to have led you know a lot of people in this direction. That well, yeah, we we, we get into you know the faith by believing these things, but once we do, we still have to you know, put together a list of rules, you know, because we have to live day to day. Exactly. But rules, um, and this is, this is why we do it. We do it because, uh, as Paul says, the law is not of faith. Rules work. They work in the sense that they control people's behavior in public. And at the end of the day, we, that's what we want. We know that if we can give people a list of clear behavioral requirements and then assign some sort of a negative consequence to violating that, 
that will get them to conform at least when they are around us. And we like that feeling. And it makes us feel like we're doing something and we're making a difference. And yet Paul says, look, the, the result of this gospel in Romans 1, 5 is the obedience of faith. So Paul could roll into town, preach the gospel, and leave two weeks later. Do we know any missionaries who are like, see ya? <laughs> he had a faith in the faith that, that he had a, a, some sort of an utter confidence. And, and sometimes it didn't go well, but it went as well as anybody else's attempts because people are hard to deal with. Um, but, you know, that, that he could go, he could preach this message and leave and because, like Peter said, he was seeding uh, an area with new DNA, with a new spiritual DNA, and that that DNA had a life of its own and would make changes. And I think he's talking about the faith of the Son of God yes. imparted to believers. And, yes. And maybe you could explain what that is. I would love to. Maybe we can get into it next time. I'm afraid we're running out of time, and that's kind of a big... That's a big one. It's a big, big it's a big topic, but yeah, I mean, it's how, how do you get, so uh, just to set it up, let me, let me do this. Uh, and I think I've mentioned that God, God has his own agenda and it's not, he wants this wonderful plan for your life to come to fruition. He has a wonderful plan for his own life and his wonderful plan for his own life is that he'll have more kids like Jesus like Christ, like the second person of the Godhead, that there'll be more of this, that this is perfect, a father and the son bound in eternal love through the Holy Spirit. This is perfect. This couldn't get any better. We just need more of it. We want more, more of this. And so there is this eternal desire to have more of Jesus in a myriad of unique expressions. And how's God going to get there, right? That God, in renaming Abraham, I think, gave us a clue. In God taking Abraham from exalted father to father of a multitude was saying more about himself than he was about Abraham. That he is the exalted father and there's no way up for him. But he can go out. <laughs> and, and he is. And he will. And, and so there is this desire on God's part to transfer his DNA into these free agents how does he do it where does it come from and and that's a that's a crazy ambitious undertaking and i think it has a lot to do with the things that we we struggle with in the bible so maybe the question to uh wrestle with next time is how is god through what vehicle is god going to reproduce himself in human beings and I think that when, you know, when, when I had mentioned in Romans 1, Paul says, I'm becoming an agent of the gospel of God. It's good news for God. It's good news that God has been proclaiming. Not good news to us and God happens to be comforting us with it, but that God is saying, celebrate with me the realization of my plan and then that becomes good news to us, to those of us who 
accept that it is good, who agree that it is good, who say the same thing as, who confess that it's good. More on that next time. Absolutely. Absolutely.